Hey everyone, before we get started, big shout out to our title sponsor, Mr. B Potato Chip, the only potato chip made right here in West Virginia. Let's be real, COVID-19 has disrupted every facet of our lives and amplified the already present challenges that we experience day to day. But at the same time, COVID-19 has also made us more thankful for the blessings that we do have. We've been able to reflect on what we truly cherish the most in this life, including things like a roof over our head, clothes on our back, and food on our plate. And that is where our conversation picks up today. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably not experiencing issues with hunger. But that's not true for almost one-fifth of our state. Let that sink in. One-fifth of our state struggles to put food on the table. Today, we meet the man who's on a mission to make sure those people do find a meal. Chad Morrison is the executive director of Mountaineer Food Bank, a nonprofit that helps feed those in need around West Virginia. And with COVID, as you can imagine, the challenges are exponentially greater now than they've been in past years. But not only is it difficult delivering food around our state, but even getting it has been tough because every food bank in America is in need of aid. But because of a $9 million donation from Mackenzie Scott, who's the ex-wife of Amazon founder Jeff Bezos and has quickly become the nation's leading philanthropist and thousands of other donations from West Virginians, Chad and the Mountaineer Food Bank is helping as many people as possible during this unprecedented time. So yes, it is a heavy topic, but it's an important one, and we're certainly going to do our part to shine light on this issue. Chad is a great guy, he certainly knows his stuff, and the work that Mountaineer Food Bank is doing is remarkable. So with that, Mace, hit the music. does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. Okay, and here we are with Chad Morrison on another edition of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Chad, good morning to you. How is uh, how are you today? I know you're up in Gasaway today. How how are things? Good morning, guys. Uh, I'm I'm doing well. Uh, things are are going well. Uh, you know, just another day in the life of a food banker, moving food in, moving food out. So. Well, and, and we kind of wanted to start with uh, the news that we got last week because we kind of joked we, we had scheduled to get you on about a week and a half ago. And then about a week ago, that story in West Virginia News comes out. Mountaineer Food Bank receives transformational donation from McKinsey Scott, $9 million. And we were just like, well, I guess that's what we're going to be talking about. So <laughs> it was just kind of, you know, it was just kind of out of luck and, and we, we laughed a little bit, but I mean, that is quite the headline. Have, have you ever been a part of anything? Transformational is quite the, quite the headline word, but did you see that coming and have you been a part of anything quite like that? Yeah. So uh, we, we, we didn't really see that coming at, at the time. Um, you know, it was very, very much um, a surprise uh, to first myself and my board of directors. Um, 
you know, and I, I've never kind of went through that type of experience uh, before. You know, historically, um, our organization, uh, ha, ha, we've, we've had great support and we continue to have great support um, throughout West Virginia and the country. Um, but at that level, uh, far and above the highest gift that we've ever received. Um, you know, the last gift was um, about $700,000 just for comparison. And that was, you know, during the same time period during our COVID response, um, you know, in 2020. So uh, just a, a great experience, uh, but, you know, something that you never, you never expect to get that phone call. Yeah. When you, when you do get that phone call, what, what does $9 million even do for you guys? I mean, how can you even kind of put into quantity? How can you quantify what that actually does for you guys? Sure. sure. Well, it, it's, you know, it certainly is a significant amount of money um, to, to, to you, to, to me, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of money, um, you know, and it's got a lot of potential to do some great good here in West Virginia. Um, you know, our budget for 2021 is um, about $7.6 million. Um, so in our COVID uh, response last year, we spent over uh, $11 million. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it, it is certainly a lot of money, but we're, we're spending a lot of money feeding folks right now. Um, so, you know, we're going to have to be very smart and we're, we're planning to be very thoughtful and diligent in how we um, utilize these funds. Um, but, you know, our goal is to make sure that it feeds people uh, for a long, long time here in West mm -hmm. Virginia. Because like, like you guys said, it's, it's not something, you know, this is not ordinary. Um, yeah. You know, we don't have those dropped from the sky every <laughs> nine million dollar checks. 25, flying. 25 30 years. Um, yeah. So, and for our listeners, so, so Chad, you're the CEO of Mountaineer Food Bank and talk to us in just reading the description. Essentially, it's an organization that provides food and other household items through our emergency food network to 48 counties in West Virginia. Where did, how did you get involved in leading essentially uh, a food charity within West Virginia? We'll get into some of the statistics about like where West Virginia falls in this issue, but how did you find yourself in this position um, in, in running these operations? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, um, you know, the, the, there's two food banks in West Virginia, uh, two Feeding America food banks in the state, uh, Mountaineer Food Bank and Facing Hunger Food Bank in, in Huntington. Um, together, we cover all 55 counties. Um, you know, our footprint, obviously, is the 48 of the 55 mm -hmm. counties. Um, you know, so I, I got involved. Um, I, I came into the food bank in 2008. Uh, I joined the team as the food resource coordinator. My job was to get food, uh, get food into the food bank. Um, I came along right at the time that, uh, you know, Feeding America at the national level had made a partnership with um, a lot of your retail stores. So Walmart, uh, Kroger, Sam's Club, all the, all the major, major market grocers um, in the country. So immediately after I joined the team, um, we, we started getting lar large volumes at that time, uh, of food. So, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, I, I did very little at that time because, uh, you know, it no, was take the credit, man. Take the credit. <laughs> uh, 
No. Yeah, it, was a, it was a national partnership. And uh, so, so, you know, my job shifted a little bit because of that. Um, you know, I started working in development, um, which was new to me. I didn't have the background. I kind of learned, um, you know, learned on the ground um, with grant writing and fundraising, um, developing with our, our mobile food pantry program, uh, started to really learn um, a lot of different companies of food banking because you know food banking is just a real it's a mash of a whole lot of other businesses um you know from nutrition and food and warehousing and logistics and operations and trucking um you know to advocacy and public policy it's it's just a big mashup of, of all those right. things. Um, so you kind of you kind of learned to wear a lot of hats um and then uh, i had a uh, uh, an experience, um, you know, during the 2012, um, derecho. And then, uh, that, that kind of started to, to spin me into some more leadership opportunities, um, you know, and gave me some confidence, um, you know, to, to, to be able to handle situations. Um, and then in 2015, I became the, uh, executive director, CEO, of the food bank. So, a lot of uh, a lot of learning on the ground um, kind of prepared me for these this role. And then you had the the floods in the backyard in Clay County there in, in 2016, right? It's yeah, it's, just, it's yeah. We've dealt we've dealt with a lot of different uh, disasters from you know the 2016 flood um, to uh, government shutdowns um, to just you know to to COVID 19 response. Uh, a lot of people don't realize, you know, what role the food bank plays in that. Uh, but we are active, um, you know, throughout any type of disaster, natural disaster, man-made disaster, um, you know, any type of situation, we're, we're very active. Um, so it gives us a lot of perspective on, on, on how the world works and how things are right. happening. I, I think that it's so interesting, too, because you don't know what the food bank does kind of like you said until you need the food bank or until you kind of get involved right until you see it from you know my perspective i mean here we are talking and learning about it obviously but it's kind of one of those things until you, you don't know much about it until you need it but thankfully you guys are there taking care of everybody as you know needed let me i'll ask you this do you find that the years that there are some natural disasters or i mean the ratio the floods uh, COVID, not necessarily a natural disaster, but a pandemic, or just the normal year-to-year winter months, do you find that some years are more difficult, some years you, you need more capital, more money, or is every year pretty much just a grind from beginning to end? doesn't really matter what's kind of thrown in, in, in your way. Yeah, there's certainly, you know, there's a baseline. Um, you know, there, there's a baseline of people that are struggling with hunger uh, year in and year out. Um, you know, and there's a lot of different reasons, you know, that, that bring that together, um, from employment opportunities to, uh, you know, just, uh, food access to, uh, their, their health issues. There, there's a, a lot of different reasons that people, um, are, are struggling with hunger. And then when you take situations, um, disasters or, uh, economic downturns, um, for whatever reason, 
that just puts a uh, it puts a spin on things yeah. um, because depending on you know if it's a, a local or a state um, you know worldwide issue uh, such as we're we're dealing with now uh, that changes how we uh, you know how we bring food in how we source food um, where that food's coming from um, you know any any regulations that may go with that whether they come or go um, which they have you know, sometimes uh, been deregulated. Um, so it, it definitely, it's not a one size fits all. Um, you know, you deal with one disaster, um, it gives you some roots um, on how to deal with the next one. But, you know, every one of them has had just certain dynamics that we've had to learn. And <laughs> I don't, I don't know what kind of preparation or planning there is. We plan the, as we plan all the time. Learn on uh, the fly. React, yeah, yeah, yeah react, good. adapt, yeah, yeah. Well, there, there's a lot of uh, I, I call it the evolution of the food bank because you know it's it's constant, we're always changing and we have to, um, and that's hard to grasp. It's like it's like kind of like working on a, a treadmill sometimes, you're just you're trying to right. keep balance, um, uh, keep moving forward. Well, you mentioned, Chad, that there, you know, of course, I could imagine during a natural disaster or COVID, you know, that you're going to see spikes. I think I saw a tweet from your old Twitter that, uh, you know, maybe even up to 18% of West Virginians are relying on a food bank. But you spoke about the baseline of people needing food and, you know, that I guess essentially have food insecurity. And it's something that you don't you know, if you're fortunate enough to live a life where you don't even think about like, oh, in America, like people don't have food, like what? Like it just doesn't even resonate, I think, with a lot of people that yes, in America, people struggle with getting food access. How, what about that is unique to West Virginia? Like you said, is it just a reflection of the economy, a reflection of like changing employments, or are there other maybe characteristics about West Virginia for some reason that, that we have this problem in the state? Yeah, so I mean, West Virginia, uh, like many states across the country, um, we, we have our core issues, but when you start looking at the infrastructure of West Virginia, you start to see uh, the, the gaps of where, you know, people can access food, uh, where people can access employment. Um, so, you know, a lot of people have this vision of somebody that's struggling with hunger as somebody that's unemployed. And that's, that's not, not true, uh, all the time. Um, you know, people are working, you know, two, three jobs, um, and still struggling to put food on their, on, on their famous plates because, you know, they're working low wage jobs. Um, and, and if you look at the, you know, the profile of West Virginia, we have a lot of low wage um, jobs out there, um, they're, they're employers and, and they're doing their part, um, but it's not quite enough um, when you start factoring in things like healthcare, uh, prescriptions, um, travel. Um, it's, it's unbelievable whenever you get into uh, even parts of the state that you, you see an interstate, and, and I see it here living in Braxton County. Uh, we have an interstate that drives, you know, it's right through the middle of the county, um, but it's mostly rural. Uh, there's parts of Braxton County that I can drive, you know, I can drive for an hour um, and still be in Braxton County yeah. uh, and, and people live there. So, you know, they're driving an hour to get to the grocery store or an hour to get to work. Um, so the transportation networks make it very difficult. Um, our health, you know, uh, West Virginia is not 
um, a healthy state as far as, you know, things like obesity and diabetes and, and, and heart disease. Um, so we have a lot of people that have special dietary needs um, or special medical needs. And, you know, that stuff's expensive, right. um, you know, and, and if you're taking care of a, a parent or, or a child um, that has, you know, special uh, health concerns, um, you're struggling. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care who you are. Um, right. You're not, you're, you're struggling um, if you're going to the doctor every month or every week. Um, so that, that, that's a challenge that we face because, mm-hmm. you know, there's not just one solution to that. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that have to come into play. Uh, and, and we're just, you know, we're trying to make sure that those people have, have the food they need, the healthy food they need um, to, to take whatever next step they need to make in their life. Certainly a lot of challenges in West Virginia, especially for a food pantry. Um, one of the challenges, I think, is you said there are only two major food pantries in, in West Virginia. Um, you guys are placed in Braxton County to try and help one of those problems in the problem of accessing the rest of the state. Because in Braxton County, you still got a long way to go to get up to the northern panhandle, the eastern panhandle, um, strategically placed in Braxton County, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, placed, you know, kind of geographically at the center of the state. Um, And we continue to look at, uh, you know, places for hub locations. Um, But we want to make sure that we're careful because there has to be the right rationale. Um, one of the things that we've uh, partnered, we partner with Facing Hunger Food Bank, um, the, uh, the West Virginia National Guard and West Virginia VOAD um, in 2020 to develop a, uh, a site in uh, Putnam County at the POCA um, facility. We call it the Rock Branch facility um, to give us a little bit more movement um, in our distribution. It's a distribution center for us. Um, it's not a storage hub. It's it's not um, meant to store food primarily, um, but you know, a site like that gives us a little bit more frequent access. Um, and then our location, the, the nice thing about our location is, you know, we are close, um, as close to anything and everything um, that we can be, um, which allows us to do a lot of our, our food distributions, a lot of our mobile uh, food pantries, um, and that's just kind of the way it is in West Virginia. You're, you're close to nothing, but you're an hour from everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, how do you, is when you distribute food, is it mostly like you guys are like relaying it to another, like say like a homeless shelter with which then they distribute it or are you guys mobilizing like tractor trailers out to parking lots and then it's advertised in that community that on the 18th come and get food or is it kind of like a combination of everything? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a combination. Um, we have uh, 450 uh, member agencies is what we call them. Um, that is, you know, your local food pantries, um, uh, soup kitchens, shelters, um, senior feeding programs, uh, any, any type of organization that's providing food for free um, is, is, is eligible to become a, a member agency. Um, we provide food directly to them and then they feed their local community. And then we have our own programs. Um, we have about 150 plus sites um, that we do our mobile food distributions. We do uh, veterans food distributions. Um, we do targeted housing drops. Um, just a whole uh, mix of programs that we operate at the food bank level 
And, and we generally target areas that we either don't have um, a food pantry in, mm -hmm. um, or we don't have uh, a large enough food pantry uh, to meet the need at the time. We try and coordinate with them um, to make sure that, you know, if they're only able to feed once a month, we're, you know, getting it you know, two or three weeks after. What is going on, Mountaineer Media Podcast fans? Cooper here with the Halftime Report. Uh, thank you to Mr. B, as always, for sponsoring the podcast. I uh, just want to get that in there. But look, we just launched a website. Mountaineermedia.org is going to act like our new home base for the podcast. We're going to have a, you know, a reflection of all the episodes. You can find our video content, the Do Something Good West Virginia campaign. You can even shop Mountaineer Media merchandise. We have hats, we've got toboggans, little things, we've got backpacks, uh, we've got crop tops, we've got coffee mugs. You know, We're trying to test out different uh, merchandise, so you can shop on there as well. And also, as if you've noticed on our social media, we are going to bring on a whole team of bloggers. So we're about to like five times the amount of content that we have right now. So everything from sports to policy to medical marijuana to for the panhandles up in Martinsburg to the southern coal fields to you know, up north in the northern panhandle, all across West Virginia, we're going to empower bloggers to blog and everything's going to flow back into mountaineermedia.org. So be on the lookout for that. If you want to be the first person to hear Hear about it you love our content you just can't get enough of it we you know i say that tongue-in-cheek you know if you want to sign up for our newsletter on the website you can sign up and we're going to send out not an annoying email we're not going to pester you but we will update you on what's going on so sign up for that just simply throw your email in there and you're registered and you're going to be a mountaineer media um, who knows we'll occasionally probably send out hats and wristbands to just random people for no cost um but look, this episode here with uh, Chad Morrison is very, very important. So I need you to go to mountaineerfoodbank.org and donate to them and help fight food insecurity in West Virginia. Mountaineer Food Bank is their website, uh, mountaineerfoodbank.org, and you can donate to them and help fight food insecurity. All right, let's get right back to the episode now and hear more from Chad Morrison, the CEO of the Mountaineer Food Bank. I'm sure it's difficult to move like fresh food too. Like you mentioned, like it's not only important to provide food for people, but like, it's kind of a, like if you have a, a state, you know, in general, that's unhealthy and obese, but then you, you, the food access that they do have and not to like slander dollar general by any means that maybe they're maybe even a supporter of you guys, but like if that is their only access to food, maybe they're not even getting healthy food if, because it, you know, a, a fresh market is an hour and a half away. But, right. you know, but like a Dollar General might be 25 minutes away, but then you look, okay, look at, let's look at the menu of Dollar General. Is there fresh, healthy food? It almost becomes like a self, you know, snowballing effect, I guess, to unhealthiness and food access. So how, my question was, how difficult is it to move fresh food? I, and I mean, it, that might be a logistic in and of itself, like um, things that can spoil, or are you guys mostly trying to move like just sustainable, like grains and, and beans and that sort of thing? Yeah, no, we, we move uh, a significant amount of uh, fresh produce, um, dairy, uh, milk, eggs, uh, frozen products. Um, that has become a core uh, part of our, our, our programs um, and our distribution. You know, it's certainly not easy because um, right. right, logistics um, have to, to match um, because we, when we receive a, a truckload of a fresh product, it has to, the clock's ticking. Right. Yeah, you're on shot clock. <laughs> Um, you know, we, we've got to almost plan out where that food is going um, as soon as we know that we're getting it. Um, because, 
you know, we, we need to have it moving. If we receive it on Monday, it needs to start moving on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and be, you know, going by the end of the week. Um, because it's not just necessarily going, you know, to the, the hungry family, it might be going to a food pantry who needs to store it over the weekend. So, you know, timing is key. Um, but it's important that we continue moving those foods just for the reason, you know, you, you mentioned, um, because a lot of, you know, a lot of local communities don't have that access. Right. Um, you know, it, it is, it is very expensive, um, to freight food. Um, and, and more so in 2020 and 2021 than, uh, previous, um, because those prices have went up. Um, so, you know, you think about a, uh, a truck driving into a small rural community to a, a small store, um, those costs are very expensive. Um, and they're passed through to the, to the store and then it's passed through to the, the consumer. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's, it takes a lot of money to do those things. And that's, that it contributes to a lot of our problems because, um, you know, just the access, you know, it all drills back down to that. Um, so the closer the food is to the consumer, the better off we are. Um, that's, you know, that's a given in our society is just producing enough to, to fill those voids. When take us back to March, when everything really hit and COVID was beginning to really take its toll, did some of the facilities shut down? Obviously there, you know, um, a lot of those places, I'm sure you, you started to get food out to people, but how were you guys initially impacted? And then I know, I think the National Guard even helped you more than they were previously helping you to make sure food was distributed. I remember that Rock Branch facility was in the news early on because that was one of the governor's announcements that they were going to help push food through the Rock Branch facility quite a bit. Take us back to that and how how many hurdles did you have to jump from then up until now and, and how have you know, how communities responded to, to definitely help you guys out as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, you know, March and April was kind of pandemonium. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't care where you were sitting. Um, I don't think anybody kind of knew what they were doing at that point. No, uh, we We're just trying to figure out, um, you know, what we can do safely. Um, you know, what this, uh, what this virus, uh, what, what it can do as far as harm. Um, so we, uh, you know, we did have some of our member agencies that uh, temporarily closed. Um, they, many of our food pantries are run by retirees um, or seniors. Wow. wow. Yeah. So cool. yeah. You're, you're thinking they're the highest risk um, for COVID-19. So I'm absolutely. sure you didn't have things like PPP or PPE. I mean, the gloves, the, the protection, I'm sure you had a little bit, but not at yeah. the level that you needed. Yeah, you know, everybody was trying to get, you know, gloves and masks and sanitizer. Um, you know, those things just, it, you know, you had a you had a little bottle, but, you know, you didn't have truckloads. Um, yeah. So, you know, everybody was kind of scrambling, trying to figure out, you know, where they needed to be. Um, so one of the things that we did um, was we changed our operations. Um, normally, when we distribute food, we distributed food. Um, just in a case, you know, we received pallets of food. Um, so we would distribute it via a case. Um, so we partnered with the West Virginia national guard. Uh, they dedicated a team, um, to our facility and they helped us build, uh, food boxes. Um, and they, they averaged about 14 to 1500 food boxes per day. 
um, that they were building uh, here at Gasway. And the thought behind that was if we could reduce the touches, um, if we could reduce the need for volunteers at our food pantries, um, we could possibly reduce their exposure um, so that all the, they could still continue to feed people, um, but they could, instead of doing it with 10 or 15 or 20 people, they could reduce it down to five or less. Um, just, you know, to try and increase the, the safety um, of their program. And we continued doing that um, for probably two months. Uh, and then we transitioned. Uh, that, that, gave, that gave a lot of our pantries enough time to kind of establish, you know, their safety guidelines to get themselves in a position where they could do it at their site safely. Um, I think I gave them enough of a cushion to kind of figure things out in their communities on how we can continue doing it um, so that we could revert back to our previous model, um, which we did. And I felt that we were really successful doing that. Um, so we still distributed, you know, pre-made food boxes and we, mm -hmm. we're still doing that today. Um, and in certain situations, certain areas, it, it continues to make sense for the safety of the volunteers and, and the people receiving the food. Um, but that was a massive change because, you know, we had to flip our operations. Um, you know, we're always about efficiency um, and how we can load the truck to the max. So uh, that changed that because the way we were building those boxes, um, they took up more space, they were lighter, so we ended up see, sending more trucks. Um, it just, it changed the whole, you know, mechanics. of ripple effect, yeah. Yeah, you went from being as efficient as possible to like, all right, we just need to get this stuff out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was, the bottom line was getting the food to people that needed it. And right. that took 10 trucks, it took 10 trucks. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah commend, so commendable, no question about it. So even just like zoom out from Mountaineer Food Bank, I mean, food waste in America, I was doing like some research, like we, you know, this, I think this is like a 2015 study says Americans waste 30 to 40% of our food, which is $161 billion a year in America. So like, it's, you know, and it, I'm trying to think of if you're listening to this, what, if you have any idea and tips and if, I, if you're an, uh, an American that's fortunate enough to have food and food's never really been an issue, what do you think are small tweaks that you can do with your family, if you're a household family, if you're listening to this, to help a network like this? Is it just like once a month cleaning out your cabinet and then donating excess cans or like being obviously more conscious of what you buy and, and managing your own supply would just help, you know, the situation in general, but I'm trying to think of like tangible ways people can like contribute other than financially. Cause we love, I mean, I'm sure you guys love financial donations, but as far as getting food, do you accept direct food donations from individuals? So generally we do. Um, obviously in the, the COVID-19 response, we've limited that um, mm -hmm. just because, you know, there takes uh, a lot of time in sanitizing product and sorting right. through product. Um, but, you know, as far as consumer behaviors, um, you know, it, it's always smart for us to um, be very aware of, you know, the foods that we're buying and the quantities that we're buying um, because there's massive amounts of food um, produced in, in, you know, in the world and in our country. Um, so it's really all about the timing, um, you know, and that connecting, connecting the dots. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we've been able to establish really good relationships with a lot of the retailers. Um, so, you know, that we reduce waste as much as possible. 
Um, and, and in a lot of those situations, I feel like, you know, we've squeezed, we've squeezed the orange, you know, as much as we possibly can. Um, but there's still opportunities out there uh, to keep connecting at the local level um, to make sure that, you know, uh, those, those small, small batches are being used. And that's something that uh, Feeding America has kind of led uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but again, it, it kind of goes back to the, the, the transportation connecting um, because it gets harder to rationalize um, picking up those small donations. Uh, just for example, we, we've got some partnerships um, with small, uh, small retailers, um, but their donations may only be five or 10 pounds, um, you know, two or three times a week. So, you know, you, you can't drive, you know, 20, 20 minutes to pick up five or 10 pounds. I mean, just the, the, the cost right. of picking up don't make sense. So it's just figuring out the whole logistics stream, which is, very difficult in, in our state. Yes. I mean, like you said, it, it, now that the more and more I'm like kind of thinking about this, it's you guys are in the, they're in the logistics business. You're in the refrigeration business. You're in the public policy business. I mean, food is at the core thing that you're moving around, but being nimble like that, I mean, I, I can't think of another uh, or like kind of industry organization that, that does have to move it so much. Um, what about restaurants? How like restaurants, I worked in a restaurant growing up and, I think they even like, I don't know if they were just fearful of donating like a lot. If a restaurant donates like excess food, is it not, not that it's like illegal, but it's like difficult to do for restaurants because of like afraid of essentially getting sued. If, if someone got sick off of it, would that restaurant be like, like liable for, for what they provided? Is that what it is? Or why, why is it hard for restaurants, I guess, to donate like excess food? Right. So there are, um, you know, there's certainly bills that protect, um, restaurant owners and businesses, um, there's good Samaritan laws, um, that will protect them. Um, okay. if, if they in good faith donate food, um, uh, prepared mm-hmm. food or, or not, um, the biggest problem we have, and, and these are, these are programs that can, um, certainly, uh, develop and they do exist. Um, we've got several that, that we work with. Um, but the biggest problem that we found is at the local level, um, being able to handle that type of gift um, because, you know, it takes a very specific types of storage um, to transport that um, to keep temperature and then right. utilizing it quickly. Um, that's something that, you know, we um, had engaged in, um, you know, actually one of our, our, our congressmen um, was working towards some legislation that would help fund nonprofits um, with that infrastructure and hopefully someday we can get back to that. Um, because that, that's, you know, in in our state, that's the the biggest thing, you know, the, the food pantry or the soup kitchen, they just, they don't have storing, they don't have heating racks. Um, they don't have a vehicle to transport hot foods, um, you know, beyond your, your senior center, um, capacities that we have, you know, our, our, our nonprofits just, they don't have that. So they have to have those pieces in order to accept the gift. Um, and the gift has to be large enough to rationalize the investment, you know, over a period of time. Do you, what are some of the, the challenges that you are facing right now specifically? Is it getting food? Is it 
the money i know we talked about that donation but what are the, the specific challenges other you know than the, the protection of your workers and whatnot that you guys are facing right now especially as we turn into 2021 yeah so 2021 um you know it's uh it's coming with you know some some obstacles that we're going to have to face um entering into the 2021 year um one of the programs that we we distribute a lot of food through is called TFAP. It is the Emergency Food Assistance Program. It is a federal commodity program. Um, at its peak in uh, July and August of 2020, um, there was uh, CARES Act funds that were being uh, utilized. There was trade mitigation funds um, from the past two years that have been utilized. Um, so what that boiled down to is we were receiving about 75 to 80 truckloads of food every month through just this program, this one program. So as uh, 2020 ended, um, it started to decline down to, um, I believe in December, it was 25 truckloads. Um, move over into 2021, January, it's seven truckloads. Wow. wow. Uh, and February, I believe, is 10 to 15. And that looks like about the average um, for, for this year at the moment. I don't know exactly what is going to come from the, uh, the COVID relief bill that was passed a few weeks ago. There should be some, some foods that come through that. Um, but that's been a hard thing. It, it's been very difficult for uh, the federal government to secure these truckloads. Um, because they're competing with the fair market, you know, they're, they're competing with, you know, retailers and, and, and you know, the global market. Um, so they're having to, you know, go through that process to get more food into the TFAP program. And it's, it's so important. We have an, a, a strong TFAP program. Uh, TFAP and SNAP um, are two of the two biggest instruments. SNAP, obviously, you know, it's a, it's a large instrument for feeding hungry people. Mm -hmm. Um, TFAP is, you know, second. Um, it's a far second, but it's a, it's a critical component. And um, having a strong program um, is really critical to, to having this access at the local level. Um, one of the things, you know, we talked about transportation um, that's lacking in West Virginia. The other thing that we lack in West Virginia is food manufacturing. Um, we don't manufacture a lot of large scale uh, foods. Uh, we have a lot of small scale, um, which are super, but, uh, you know, we don't have, you know, your Del Monte's and Kellogg and Nabisco. We don't have those. Um, so we don't have anybody to turn to in West Virginia to say, hey, we need to ramp up production. Well, you know, they're out of state. Right. Uh, so that puts us in a very vulnerable position um, because we're not – you know, self-sufficient in that regard. Right. Yeah, that food comes from out of state. Yeah. What are, are there many manufacturers? Who do you guys turn to in state to try and, I mean, are, there are no, there's not a Kellogg, but who manufactures <laughs> in West Virginia? Yeah, what we are, have some, yeah, we have some super, uh, some super donors. Um, one of those of which is, uh, you know, Pilgrim's Pride up in, in Moorefield, yeah. uh, which, you know, one of the, one of the hardest things for food banks to get is protein. 
Um, so having, you know, a facility like Pilgrims in, in our footprint is a blessing because uh, they are very supportive of our work. Um, mm -hmm. They're absolutely, you know, um, top shelf on that. Um, and, and, you know, it, protein is, you know, is core to our nutrition. So yeah. um, we, we certainly work with them. Um, we have uh, a handful of orchards that we work with over in the Eastern Panhandle um, that are just tremendous, uh, tre tremendous supporters of us. Um, uh, Appalachian Orchard and Orin Sons, they, uh, they do tremendous donations to us, uh, make sure that we have, you know, fresh, fresh fruit uh, for all of our programs. Um, once you kind of get away from those, it starts to drop down as far as the large, you know, the large producers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we work, we work a lot within our Feeding America na network to uh, source truckloads um, nationally. Um, so we're able to work, you know, through Feeding America to get loads from, you know, out of state. Um, working with other food banks and, and other territories. Uh, but that's, that's harder um, because, you know, obviously as a, those food banks have the first right of refusal and, um, you know, they, they need food too. Right. <laughs> I mean, You're like, hey man, we need, yeah. we need to feed Ohio, yeah. Ohio no different Kentuckians yeah. and. Yeah. They're, they're facing, you know, that, that's really one of the things that was so different about COVID-19 is, for the first time, you had all 200 food banks across the country raising their hands saying, hey, we need resources. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Generally, it's, you know, if it's a hurricane or, you know, a, a natural disaster, it's very geographic, very regional. Um, so people can take from this end of the country and, and give to this end. And right now it's it's very much everybody's kind of in the same boat um, trying to figure out where where can we get from um, to satisfy the need yeah is that ultimately do you have you found that ha has distribution still been as equal as possible or, or do you see that maybe there is some disparity between where you are ge geographically now and based on your population and whatnot well i mean for 2020 uh, you know it was uh probably we we distributed more food than we'd ever distributed in our history in, in one yeah. year we, we yeah. distributed uh, over 29 million pounds last year, um, which is a full, you know, 9 million pounds what we did the previous year. Um, this year, you know, it's yet to be determined, but we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to really hustle um, to, to bring those foods in. Um, the way we're, we've been making it up um, and we'll continue to do so is we're purchasing a lot of foods. Um, so if, you know, if, if basically if a food bank isn't receiving it through a commodity program or donated, um, we subsidize that purchasing. So, you know, that's not the, the first, uh, first place you go. Um, yeah. but that is certainly, you know, if, if we don't have what we need and we have the funding, um, to be able to do it, we, we have to go that route. Um, and we have a, a lot of uh, a lot of programs that that nurture that and sponsorships and, and things like that that allow us to to purchase food uh, for our programs. Okay, I see. Yeah, I can see where that would get pricey though. So yeah, but with donations like with Mackenzie Scott, thank you to her for donating nine million dollars. I'm sure that definitely helps. Um, 
we can all week we're gonna promote so mountaineerfoodbank.org if you're listening to this go to mountaineerfoodbank.org and it looks like you can just uh, if i go right here on my ipad it says donate now looks like i can donate which i will i encourage all of our listeners to donate to the mountaineer food bank but chad is there anything specific as far i mean is this the best way that individuals listening can help yeah, you know, that's the best way to support us right now because, you know, we're, um, like I said, we're, we're making uh, sure those donations go towards, you know, supporting our feeding programs. Um, you know, that's that's what we're here for. Um, and we're making sure that uh, we're out there. Um, you know, we uh, I didn't get to speak too much on it, but like our mobile food pantry program, um, you know, at one point it was doing, you know, uh, eight or 10, uh, food distributions a month. Um, I was looking at last month, um, we did 33, um, food distributions just through one program. Wow, yeah. um, so, you know, that's, that's what, you know, our, our donors are supporting, you know, us being out in the community and, and, and feeding families in West Virginia. It's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Chad. And honestly, if you had any closing thoughts, we just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing on behalf of West Virginia. And uh, we're going to post this link across all of our platforms for the whole week when your episode's airing. So hopefully we can help, you know, it won't be 9 million like uh, McKenzie Scott, but it may be, you know, maybe it's a couple of thousand that we can help you raise. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Well, and, and that's something, you know, I, I would like to speak to because, um, you know, that, that gift is significant. Um, and as a, uh, you know, I, I'm born and raised in West Virginia. Um, I know how difficult um, things can, can be in the state. And that, you know, was a, a win for everyone. You know, every one of our donors, uh, our supporters, our volunteers, um, all of our member agencies, you know, to, to me, that was their success um, because that's, you know, uh, what, uh, Miss Scott invested in, you know, she invested in West Virginia and the work um, and the support that people have given us over the last, you know, five plus years. Um, that really um, was a testament because, you know, when she was, you know, making those decisions, she was not just looking at, you know, us. She was looking at our support. She was looking at how um, our impact was in the state. Um, she was looking at everything about us um, and our, our network out there in West Virginia. Um, so, you know, our donors made that possible. Um, you know, they, they, anybody that ever gave a dollar, five dollars, um, they put us in that position to, to be considered for a gift like that. Because um, mm -hmm. otherwise we would have never, we would have never been close. Um, so I, I thank all of our donors for, you know, everything, every hour, every minute they've given to us, you know, that's, that's what brought that into West Virginia. Yeah. And I'm sure most of your, your workers are West Virginians born and raised, most of them, I'm sure. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, you probably see that if you're from the state, people do like to give back, but, uh, to piggyback off that too, a donation to the food banks, you know, that's a donation, that's an investment into your community. That's an investment to make sure to take care of other people, the well-being of other people. Um, and and so love to hear how, how successful things have been going. Obviously, we were trying to help as much as possible in any way that we can too. Um, but uh, I said it before, commendable effort from you guys. I mean, it is, it is not an easy task now that we've really broken it down into how much goes into 
your day-to-day operations. It's not easy, but thank you for doing what you do. And um, good luck going forward here in 2021, Chad. All right. Well, thank you guys for having me today. Uh, I really appreciate it. right that's going to do it for this episode thanks for listening to everyone and again that website to check out is mountaineerfoodbank.org mountaineerfoodbank.org certainly they'll take any penny that you're willing to donate obviously if you've listened this far you know how important all of the money that they get is you know it certainly is used for a good cause chad uh, came on here today and, and we thank him again for coming on to talk about how how hard they are working to make sure the people of West Virginia are fed. And again, if you get a chance to donate, it will surely be welcomed to Chad and the rest of his team. Again, that website is mountaineerfoodbank.org. All right. Hey, well, our website is also up and running mountaineermedia.org. So go ahead and check those two out if you get a chance. Mountaineermedia.org is officially official. We spent way more time on that thing than we'd like to admit, but it's up and running Go check it out. Maybe treat yourself to something in the shop as well. Also, we've got some big news here over the next week or two. We're adding bloggers to the website. We're going to be talking about a lot of great things. We'll announce those guys here very soon, those men and women. It's going to be a great group. We've been talking with a bunch of individuals who are as excited, if not more excited, to talk about West Virginia and share this platform with Cooper Mason and I and and try and promote some of the things that they love to talk about here in the Mountain States. We cannot wait for you guys to check that out. And when in in due time, that is coming. And we're going to make sure that everybody knows about that when we are ready to announce who those bloggers are. Also, we've got some really great guests coming up. I'm serious. You won't want to miss out. We're going to be talking about COVID, education, filmmaking, and, and poverty. There's so many topics that we're going to be diving into over the next couple of weeks with some great guests. I guarantee you know some of the names. You might not know all of them, but these stories that we've been finding and talking to people about are just so incredible. Absolutely incredible. Cooper and I have truly enjoyed it. Mason, no different. Uh, We hope that you guys have enjoyed this as well. So make sure to tune in, as always, right here on the Mountaineer Media Podcast.